Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Emily Tampkin, and you're listening to World Review from The New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Today, I'm speaking to Raksha Kumar. Raksha is an Indian freelance journalist, and she writes on, among other things, media freedom and the state of media. Raksha, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Emily. So we are talking today specifically about NDTV and what's recently happened to it. Could you tell our listeners a bit about what NDTV is, why it's so important, and why this recent development is worth paying attention to? Sure. So India is probably the most populous or at this point, the second most populous country and about between 70 and 90 percent of Indians consume television news. And that's their main medium for consumption of news. And we have about 400 news channels across various languages, both at provincial and at the central level. NDTV was one of the it was actually the first private news channel in India, before which it was only state-owned television news. And over a period of time, NDTV became a very trusted, credible media source. In the past, let's say 10 to 15 years specifically, NDTV was known for its credible reporting and its hard-hitting journalism. And since the current government came to power in 2014, NDTV was one of the only channels which was known today's tough questions and which was trying to hold authorities to account. So that's like the significance of NDTV within the larger Indian mediascape. What happened in the last few days is that the story of this starts actually several years ago when NDTV faced certain financial issues. There were debts and they happened to borrow money from who was then the richest man in India, Mukesh Ambani, a company that he owned. And in August this year, we suddenly read reports that company was taken over by the third richest man in Asia right now, who is Gautam Adani. The company that loaned money to NDTV was taken over by a very rich conglomerate and a conglomerate whose chief is known to be close to the Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi. Both of them come from the same state, the western state of Gujarat, and they're known to see things pretty similarly. But yeah, so August is when Gautam Adani took over that particular company, which meant that he owned 
a significant amount of NDTV shares. And what happened last week really is that he made an offer, open offer, which means that people could just give up their shares and he would have the largest shareholding in the company, essentially taking over the company. So in media freedoms wise, this means that pretty much the only English and Hindi news channel that kind of asked tough questions to the Modi government is now being owned by somebody who is very close to Narendra Modi himself. Right. And I just want to slow down on this one point, because I think perhaps some people listening to this will say, oh, it's a change of ownership. It's this doesn't it doesn't really matter. But it's reasonable to think that perhaps under this ownership, given his relationship to the prime minister, that NDTV will not be able to continue the kind of coverage that it has been doing? Well, Gautam Adani is known to be a very private person. He doesn't grant media interviews, but recently he did an interview with the Financial Times and he said something on the lines of how he believes that the media should ask tough questions, should hold power to account, but should also praise the government where praise is deserved. So I'm obviously paraphrasing him. So this is a pretty clear indication of where he wants to take the channel. And also, ownership in India matters more, uh, really, than we think it does because Mm. of connections that larger conglomerates have with political powers of that particular time. So this has always been the case. It's not new. It's not. It hasn't started after the present government has come to power. But it is something that matters more than we think it does. So... uh You mentioned at the top that most people in India get their news from TV. Obviously, this is not unique to India. But do you think that, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think that if NDTV becomes a less credible news source, becomes less challenging, that people will look elsewhere for their news? Or will it be the case that people will continue watching television and getting their news from television? It just won't be the same news of the same rigor as perhaps they they need and deserve. Yeah, no, I mean, 900 million Indians watch TV news. This was the latest figures we have. I think it's 2019. And that's a huge number. And it's very difficult for them to change their primary source of news consumption overnight. It, Like you said, it might take some time. It might happen over a period of time. It already is happening because the internet is making its inroads into India rapidly. But I don't think anybody, unlike when we actually investigate and see the features that a telephone that before buying a mobile phone or any other electronic gadget. We are not really used to looking at who owns a particular media enterprise before consuming mm-hmm. news from that enterprise. So it really doesn't matter. One of the reasons why Adani is bought NDTV, they have a massive online presence. They have a great social media following and they also have familiar faces on television. You know, if I am somebody who is used to consuming news from a particular news source, I will not change just because I read reports that the ownership has changed hands. Also, I think it's a very Twitter phenomenon or it's a very like ex-NDTV employee phenomenon for people to raise eyebrows. And it's still a very small segment of the Indian population that is that has showed its outpour on its horror at Adani taking over NDTV on social media, on LinkedIn, wherever else. So it's not it hasn't trickled down really. So in short, I think people will continue consuming news from NDTV. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both from as little as one pound a week. 
That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. Hi, I'm Armando Yanucci. And I'm Anoush Shekelian. And we present Westminster Reimagined on the New Statesman podcast. Each episode, we'll be taking a look at how our politics has got so broken and whether there's anything we can do to fix it. We hear from people shaping our society, from the front line to the corridors of power, alongside campaigners, journalists and satirists, including John Stewart, Ian Hislop, Rosamond Adukissi Debra, and Catherine Haddon. You can listen to all three series now. Just search the New Statesman podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to newstatesman.com forward slash Westminster Reimagined. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we should say that this is not like unique to India. And we're recording this on the day that the that the New York Times News Guild is doing a one day walkout. And I was thinking to myself. How many people even know that there is a digital picket line that they're not supposed to be crossing, right? If you're not, if you're not like very online, do you, are you even like vaguely aware that this is happening? Which is not to say it's not important. It's not to say that people shouldn't be aware, but just based on how people get their news, I'm not sure that they actually are. I think one of the frustrating things about this story is that you could see it, the, the Adani NDTV story is that you could see it coming. And you've been, I follow you online, you've been tweeting about this that like, since August, people have basically known that this was going to happen and haven't really been able to take any steps to stop it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not really sure what anyone could have done to to stop it. So part of it is that the when it comes to media control of the BJP, which is led by Narendra Modi, is complete in the sense that the the previous government, which was led by the Congress, came to power with a massive majority. But then it was the television news channel that raised issues of corruption, raised issues of violence against women, and all of these are valid issues, and tried mm-hmm. to hold the government to account. So within five years, their popularity plummeted. And all of this was thanks to television channels, really, doing their jobs. And so when the Narendra Modi government came to power in 2014, it, it kind of made sure that they had the media on their side. And this was not just television, it was definitely... Like there was a huge, Modi had a huge following, he still does on Twitter. So it's newspapers, it's television, it's a lot of these things. This is kind of merger between strong political power and strong business conglomerates. So knowing that this was going to happen, I guess I'm at a loss to understand how one could have stopped this. So we've been speaking about NDTV specifically, but to zoom out a little bit, could you speak a bit about the ways in which being a journalist has or hasn't gotten harder since Modi has come to power? So I don't know if it was, if I can say since Modi has come to power, but it has certainly been in the last 10 to 15 years that being a journalist in India has gotten harder. One is cause there is greater kind of corporate control over the editorial content of a lot of the media channels. And this is not television specific. It has also gotten harder to do investigative pieces because, you know, suddenly all the money, all the advertising money is going away from... It's just, it's, I think it's a phenomenon that is worldwide. Like there's a media boom. There are a lot more media companies than there used to be. And everybody is fighting for the same share of advertising money. And you really don't have enough money for the kind of investigations that you want to conduct. So that's a part of it. And that I don't think has anything in specific to do with the post or the era. The second thing that has happened is the loss of credibility, which is also like a worldwide phenomenon. But that I would say is definitely, at least I have begun to feel it specifically in the last eight years. So if you do ask certain tough questions or if you do, basically, if you don't take certain information that is coming out from the authorities lying down, then that means that you are vilified on social media and then that lack of credibility has its repercussions elsewhere. For instance, I'm finding it really hard to get sources to talk to me on record. It's really hard to get official stats and data and official responses to stories. And these are extremely specific problems that one is facing in the last eight years. Right, right. Do you think if there is going to be a way out of this phenomenon, Like there's one situation in which for the foreseeable future, this just becomes more pronounced. There's tighter corporate control. Journalists are given a harder time by people online. They are stonewalled by sources and it just it gets increasingly worse. So that there's that sort of option. But let's just for the sake of this interview, like assume that's not necessarily going to happen. If there is a way out of this, what do you think as a person who isn't just a journalist, but as a journalist writing and reporting on media freedom, what do you think the way out might look like? What do you think is important for people when you as a journalist try to, as you're trying to shape this, what do you keep in mind and how how are you trying to navigate this? That's 
possibly the question that I think every media enterprise, you know, is trying to answer in their own ways. I mean, some extremely encouraging examples from India. For instance, there's the Ken, which reports on business and finance and the economy. And they have a subscription model that seems to be working great. There's something called the News Minute, which focuses on Southern India and news from Southern India which has a membership model and that's i mean it's a fantastic like they're they're doing hard-hitting investigations they're doing they're it's led by a fantastic journalist the newsroom is led by a fantastic journalist and they're doing some extremely interesting stuff so it's and this is only english media there are english media in india is a small subset of the larger like media in regional languages and i'm sure there are examples one can come up with if one looked at those languages so these are some of the kind of fishing examples. There is something called the News Laundry, which runs, I don't know how, I don't know how they're doing financially, but they also run, they have like a part subscription, part membership, part free articles, kind of a mixture. And yeah, I know of a lot of people who are subscribing to them and who are paying to get News Laundry, keep News Laundry going. Is that tradition? model where you have a large publishing house and the main hard-hitting journalism publication is being subsidized by other magazines and other publications and that is the caravan and these are all certain encouraging examples and I feel like these are some of the ways to go forward but what is most certain is that all the examples that I took are in the larger scheme of things, they are a splash. It's just a drop. So we have not seen any large media house, whether it's television or newspaper or really even on the internet, make any significant impact in the way they're functioning or, or any, I mean, in terms of like, how do you progress, do good journalism and also be sustainable is a question I think everybody is asking. So if you're a smaller news organization, you manage, but the minute you get larger, you have pressures, which is basically what the kind of pressures that NDTV faces. Right. Because we've been talking about just now we've been talking about sustainability and profitability and economic viability. And I just for listeners who were like, I thought this was going to be about media freedom. We are seeing right now in the case of NDTV that these are not two independent. These are that these two things are interlinked, right? Yeah. The financial health of journalism and the ability of journalism and journalists to do what we got into this business to do, these two things are not separate. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has a house to run. Journalists are no exception. And the minute the financial strings happen to be in certain hands, the content changes. So I think this goes to the heart of why everybody was gasping when they saw the world's, like the third richest Asian takeover the only channel, some claim, that was holding power to account in India. So it's a very clear connection. Well, we will leave it there. Raksha, thank you so much for taking the time. And where can our listeners find you? I'm on at Raksha, that's R-A-K-S-H-A underscore K-U-M-A-R on Twitter. And I have a website that's rakshakumar.com. This has been the World Review from the New Statesman. You can read all our international coverage on newstatesman.com slash international. If you have enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or even an enemy and rate us and leave us a nice review. The producer has been Adrian Bradley. Our team will be back on Thursday. And I am Emily Tampkin. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Hold up. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.